everyone, and welcome to the Talking CX Podcast, Season 3, Episode 3, as we continue our journey around the world to find out what makes CX unique where you live. And we have Graham here, as always. Hi, Graham. Hi, Robin. And we are very pleased to have Neil Burge with us today. He is the founder and CEO of Cognopia, which is a leader in driving data transformation. He is from Southampton in England. He was educated at Oxford University. Hi, and Neil's not the only person um, who's from Southampton in England. Just to show how small the global CX community is, I was born and brought up just under 20 miles from there in a little town called Gosport, which is uh, effectively just down the street. Wow. Small world indeed. So you guys were practically neighbors. So your neighbor here has spent the last 11 years as a resident in Singapore, and he's going to be providing us with the view from Singapore from the outside in, which he'll explain in a few minutes. Neil, I'm really glad to have you here Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up in Singapore? Yeah, sure thing. And uh, thanks for having me, uh, Robin. Great to talk again, Graham. So um, I've got a bit of a, I guess, a slightly strange background. I'm originally from the UK, from a town called Southampton on the South Coast. Um, I went and studied um, biochemistry for my sins. So I've got a master's in biochemistry from Oxford. Uh, and then I went into uh, financial services and eventually through into working in software companies that were, were serving big organizations. And so um, I've, I've been uh, across different perspectives of customer service, both being frontline and uh, being um, you know, running businesses that, that have customers that you have to keep happy and that you have to understand and you have to work out why it is they want to buy things from you. Um and then I've been in Singapore now for coming up on 11 years. Uh, so uh, I, I moved over here originally. My wife is uh, Canadian and uh, she lost her right to live in the UK. Uh, so rather than moving back home and uh, going through the paperwork there, I started to look and, and I'd done a lot of work out in Asia anyway for a company I was working for at the time. I saw a huge amount of opportunity in this part of the world and I got a great opportunity to move out here and uh and, and start up life here, as I said, in uh, in 2011. So, yeah, bit of a bit of a, a winding road, but uh, we've been here now 11 years. So hopefully, I've got some perspective of, of what goes on here. And as you said, it's more outside in um, rather than a, a Singaporean's view of, of what goes on in Singapore. So, I want to caveat that up front. Okay, okay. Well, that's that's a good thing to do. If we get any feedback to the contrary, we will certainly share that. Yeah, I think I think just, you know, one thing I've noticed living here is that um, Singaporeans great. I've got lots of Singaporean friends. What, what I found is you go up to a group and they'll be complaining about something or other. And if you join in as a foreigner, then suddenly they, they defend it. <laughs> and uh, so I, I don't want to offend anybody here. It's, uh, you know, this is just my opinion. And uh, make of it what you will. So you said you've been there since 2011. And that's a pretty fair amount of time, about 12 years or so? Yeah, about a quarter of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, when you first got there, what characteristics related to customer experience and customer service, how was it different than what you had come to expect in England? Yeah, and 
so yeah, I think there it, it, it was interesting. It was a bit of a obviously a bit of a culture shock, um, even though Singapore is very much a more um, westernized um, you know city state here than other parts of Asia. So lots of people might call it Asia light or Asia for beginners. Um, but when I landed, you, you'd experience a lot in um, the smaller businesses here which make up about, uh, I think it's about 90-odd percent of total businesses and about 70 or 75 percent of the workforce. And in a lot of these smaller businesses, um, you didn't feel like, the, you know, the, the mantra you get in the States or in, in the UK, the customer's always right, um, certainly did not feel like that was uh, being applied here. And, and often it felt quite brusque or, or rude or almost like you were in, intruding in in, uh, in some of the smaller businesses. And some of the larger businesses, um, I guess they're used to dealing with expatriates that come over and are here for a short period of time. So it didn't feel like they were looking to build a long-term relationship. You were just a transaction to them. You were, um, you know, come and come and take take my money. But um, but yeah, certainly they weren't uh, they weren't going out of their way to make you feel like you were um, you were welcomed or, or or like they cared about your business and like they cared about you as a customer. So it was a bit of a culture shock. So as time went along um, and you got to know, you know, people from Singapore and you got to know about their customs and ideas and the way they looked at things, how did your ideas about that evolve? Yeah, I think the cultural misunderstanding I might have had was actually related to language and to the way, um, you know, if, if, if a Singaporean whose mother tongue is, is a Chinese dialect has learned to speak English, often they'll take over the, the grammar that would be appropriate and the way of saying things in Chinese. So you have a um, what they call Singlish here, which is a sort of local amalgamation of, of English, of Malay words, of Chinese dialect words, things like that. And and actually just the way it's spoken, if you were a Singaporean and you were used to Singlish, it doesn't sound rude, it doesn't sound, um, it, it sounds warm, it's like you're, it's, it's the, the slang type words that you're used to growing up with and the, the way that you speak. Whereas to a foreigner, the way some things are, are put often sound quite brusque, there's, there's not much, um, in English, we will overly labour points and, and talk long sentences that try to make things as inoffensive as possible. Um, whereas here, it's, it's short, sharp, direct and to the point. Uh, and so, you know, once you understand that, you realise actually this person's not being rude to me. You know that's how they speak. It's it, it's it's how they would speak with anybody, and and they would be being polite to do that. And it's just me misinterpreting the the way that perhaps um, you know the, the 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 style, I suppose. Um, at the same time, the the big organisations here and, and and lots of the businesses here. Certainly, when I arrived, there, there still wasn't any great customer service um, component to things. It, lots of the the entities here especially the ones that you deal with when you arrive as a foreigner you know setting up bank accounts getting a telephone line um you know um, insurance things like that these lots of them are big um, multinational entities or very large singaporean entities and again you know there's not a huge number of uh, amount of competition especially in the telco space so i don't think they were um they were driven to try and uh, excel in customer experience and customer service you know, you had a couple of choices and it would be them or, or the other lot and you'd swap between them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what do you think it is that people who are native to that location, um, what do you think it is that they expect from customer experience or how they might think of it as customer service? 
I think that's that, that's evolved since I've been here, and certainly a younger generation. So when I arrived, I was surprised, given how technologically advanced Singapore is and how modern Singapore is, that if you went online and you were trying to find, I don't know, a hardware store or something like this, uh, hardly any of the small businesses seem to have a presence on the internet. Um, and then when I talked to Singaporeans, they're like, oh, yeah, that's in that mall over there. And, and they all knew where it was. <laughs> um, but uh, but I was used to sort of searching and finding things online. So it, it made it quite challenging for me. Um, but now, especially in the last few years, things have, have accelerated and lots of bigger businesses have moved in here from overseas and have started to push uh, customer experience that you wouldn't necessarily have have had organically growing up here. So like companies like Amazon, when they come in, they've set up now and they've got uh, Amazon Prime that delivers my groceries inside you know an hour if I want to pay more or two hours if I don't. And and, you know they they replace things without question. Uh, you know they they deliver great customer service that they're known for globally. And I think now, especially younger generation of Singaporeans who are more used to purchasing things via the internet, more used to working with companies that are competing on experience, and now coming forward and saying, "Hang on, we've we've got to do this for our own businesses here." And and so there is a bit of a generational divide there. The older people want to stick to the old ways that they're used to, um, and the younger younger generation seem to want to, to migrate towards better experiences because they, they've experienced themselves and presumably preferred those to uh, to the type of experience they were used to as well. So when you, speaking about the older generation, um, what do you think it is about their experiences that they want to hold on to? So, so culturally in Singapore and, and sort of ethnically in Singapore, it's still about 70% uh, Chinese or, or Chinese descendant population here. Um, but across Asia, there's more Confucian values than you would expect over in a Western country. So certainly a lot more respect given to the elderly generation and, uh, and and that generation growing up with that kind of culture, thinking that they shouldn't be questioned by somebody younger than them. Um, and when my parents come over, they love it, you know, on the on the MRT here or the you know, equivalent of the subway. Um People will get up and, and give them their seat, which you know in the UK they probably won't do these days. Um, so there's you know there is a lot of value in this kind of respect to your elders, but definitely older people um, can be. I don't want to use the word entitled because it's become loaded, but they'll they'll turn up with a set of expectations that a younger person will defer to them and, and will count out to them in in many ways, um, and that does happen quite a lot. So, um, so yeah, there's a there is a, a bit of a, a difference there, and obviously, you know, as, as somebody who's in his forties now, I'm I'm standing between a couple of generations and heading to being old myself. Uh, and, and you you notice that you know the kids of today come up and they've got different expectations than I would have had when I grew up. Yeah, you'll get you'll get to that time of life right, <laughs> at, the sure point when, right at the point when that generational twist has happened, and there'll be no respect. So. <laughs> yep. I'm- yeah, I was going to say in a few years, you'll be um, the one appreciating that yeah, <laughs> that, that outlook. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be stamping my feet and saying I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I'd like to make the next question I have kind of a two-part question then, because it sounds like the answers might be different. And so the question is, how do Singaporeans, if I'm saying that correctly, how do they prioritize what's important for them in the area of of customer service? You you know, how does it um, 
drive the decision-making process that they use when they're going to purchase something. And let's start with the older generation. And, and you know, if you can answer that for them, then I also want to know what that's, how that, how that is different for the younger generation. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think just, just generally there's a couple of cultural constructs that Singaporeans are, are known for, certainly in, internally, but in Singapore. Um, and it's a couple of Hokkien words. Um, so one is kiasu. Uh, kiasu is uh, being afraid to lose. So you can think of this, and this is probably the predominant one, um, fear of missing out, you'd call it over in the States, a uh, FOMO or whatever that the younger generation would call it. Uh, it's that on steroids that there's this um, this feeling, and it's possibly because we're a, a small city state, and there's a lot of competition for resources, for school places, for the best jobs, and things like that. Um, and partly, it, you know, it's cultural again. It, it, predominant um, Chinese uh, population, Hokkien is obviously a Chinese dialect. So there's this this sense that that drives people to not want to miss out. And when you look at some of that, you, you know, I think I talked to Graham about this previously, you, you'll see people go and get into queues when they don't know what they're lining up for, what, what's coming out. They're just, they, oh, there must be something good here. So they'll, they'll surge towards this. And so, you know, in many ways, bad customer experience can be mitigated by giving away something, even if it's something of relatively nominal value. Um, and, and that is intergenerational here. I don't think I see it changing much between the older and younger generations. Um, you've also got this kind of kiasi behavior, and kiasi is afraid to die, but more sensibly translated, or the way it manifests itself is um, sort of a fear of adopting new behaviors or, or not wanting to change um, or not wanting to, to be the first person to do something. So again, when you're trying to get um, you know some, something new adopted here, uh, you, you're running into that as a cultural phenomenon. Do you have an example of that first one? And can you say that again? Chiasi? Chiasu is the being afraid, so fear of missing out. One great example of that is that a friend of mine was telling me a tale. So his colleague had gone off for his lunch hour and he came out back and he was looking very upset. So my friend said, well, what, what's up, what are you so upset about? And he'd wasted his whole lunch hour queuing up and he got two slices of bread as a free giveaway. And my friend's like, well, why did you queue up? And he said, I didn't know what I was queuing up for. So he just saw a big line and thought that it was, you know, must have had something good at the end of it. And at the end, he ended up with two slices of bread. Um, the Kiasi behavior, you know, comes out, you can see that in terms of the, the COVID responses here compared to other parts of the world. We still have very many more restrictions than maybe you would have uh, accepted over in, in parts of the US. Um, and a lot of that's driven by, again, older generation, um, you know, afraid to die in the very literal sense of, of the word there, of let's let's not relax things too soon, lest we, you know, end up with a big cluster of cases or more people more people catching it and dying. Um, and the complaints, I'm trying to think of a, a recent one that stands out. Um, nothing coming to mind immediately, but there's often a complaint. It's almost on a weekly basis about some business or some business practice, which is then shared online. It blows up on local social media. It gets covered by some of the sort of um, equivalent of the gutter press here and, uh, and negatively damages the brands of, of organizations that have been found. And oftentimes the complaints are, are valid, 
Um, others are they're probably less so. So you know, if people are complaining that they found uh, something that shouldn't be in their food, um, then you know I think the, the restaurants deserve to be panned. Um, other times it can be kind of minor stuff or what looks to an outsider as minor stuff that people are complaining about. That sounds kind of nice, actually, <laughs> to, to be in a place that's so well run that there only the minor things are are, are going to be complained about because yeah, there's absolutely. no major and, ones. No, indeed, and you know things you you do expect things to work here. Um, the, it's it's the default. So you know for the MRT, as I said, the, the equivalent of the subway. If there's a breakdown or something like that, people go crazy about it. Um, whereas. You know, obviously, I used to live in London for many years, and I doubt there was a day that went by where I wasn't sat there for at least five minutes wondering what was going on and where I was going to be. So, you know, if, if you're if you're in an environment where it breaks down all the time, you kind of accept it. If you're in one where it's infrequent and it stops you getting to work on time or, or whatever else is important to you, clearly you're going to complain about that. And and in many ways, it, it keeps the standards high. So, you know, it's not. Complaints sound like they're bad, but they're not always. If um, if it's if it's holding people to account and it's making sure that that the expected service levels are provided, right, right. So, I'm what I'm extrapolating from this is that businesses that are planning to do business there need to really think about having it all together, right? How yeah. that customer experience is going to be presented to people. Yeah, I think you do. Um, and, you know, I'm seeing a lot in terms of the local businesses that I that I um, engage in that, you know, they are making changes, especially driven by COVID. So before COVID, um, the idea of a digital transformation, lots of things were still paper-based, paper forms. Uh, there's a, a, a phrase here, confirm plus chop. Uh, which you you might say if if you're saying it's absolutely done, don't don't worry about it. And you used to sign contracts in duplicate, and then there's a, a chop or a rubber stamp that that gets stamped on things as well. Um, and and you know many many organisations were just so used to that way of working to onboard clients and things like this. And clearly across the last few years, that has not been possible. Uh, and people have had to move to electronic signatures. They've had to move to uh, being able to accept things online and to to, to engage and onboard clients. And personally, I think it's a good thing because I much prefer that. Uh, but it is a big change for, as I said, some of the older generation who who don't have that expectation and possibly aren't as tech savvy as as maybe I might be, or maybe certainly not as as the uh, the younger generation that have grown up uh, in the digital world. Um, so yeah, I'm sure it's not dissimilar elsewhere. But I think a lot of organisations have had to make a, a huge amount of ground up here uh, in order to to just get the basics right on a digital experience. So everything that we've been discussing so far, how does that manifest itself in actual buying habits? Yeah, I, I think it, it depends, obviously, again, on the type of thing that's being purchased. You do see that um, clearly discounting and free giveaways and things like that can really drive people in to, um, to, to consume from a part of an organization. So promotions here probably have a bigger impact on, on the launch of a new product than perhaps they would do elsewhere in the world. Um, if you're trying to launch a business in Singapore, you've got to look at the demographic that you're targeting. You know, Singaporeans as a whole, you know, that's the, the bulk of the country, but about uh, one in five people here 
are not Singaporean by birth. They are, like myself, as an expat over here or coming over on either short or, or medium-term work. And the expectations and the culture and the way that you might target that population is quite varied because um, I, I don't know the statistics off the top of my head of, of the, the, the bulk of the cultures, but you, you have lots of people from the Indian subcontinent, lots of mainland Chinese, you've got lots of um, Western expats like myself or people from the US, people from Australia. Um, and, 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 you know, the cultural expectations of those groups is not necessarily going to be, as I've been describing earlier on about the Singaporean population living here. So you, you really have to work out who it is that you're targeting and, and try and you know, plan accordingly. It, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky demographic to, to navigate, I think. Hmm. That's interesting. So what has been the most difficult customer experience that you yourself have encountered? So, so one of the ones that really got me thinking, partly because a lot of the work that we do is in and around data, data management, data governance. So getting your data, not just about customers, about <clears throat> products, about um, suppliers, about employees in, in the right shape. And uh, it must be two, two and a half years ago now, we moved offices. And we had a telephone and internet line in the old office with a, a, a local provider here, one of the two dominant ones, they're called Starhub. And we were moving to a new office, so we've arranged to do the transfer of the line, we've arranged to have somebody come and drill the hole in the wall and, and, and establish all of the, the connectivity, all of this kind of stuff. And um, anyway, not thinking too much about it, I think it was sort of November time when all of this happened. And then it was... Uh, Christmas Eve, I was actually heading out um, with my wife and I, I started looking at the, the phone and I can't access anything. Nothing's going on on my, on my uh, mobile phone. So I'm wondering what's gone on. Anyway, eventually it turns out that they've, they've cut me off. Um, and so then I had to go on the Wi-Fi in, in some restaurant that I'm in to find out what's gone on. And eventually you can get through to somebody in the customer service team. Uh, and it turns out that they thought I hadn't paid our bill. And, and it really got me thinking about data, specifically master data about your customers, because what seemed to have happened is obviously the, um, the operational team has come in and installed the equipment. The sales team has filled in lots of paper forms. You know, back then, I think it was a stack, you know, like a, like a book uh, of paper that we filled in. Um, and they've onboarded us in this new uh, office with some, some new services. But that's not flowed across to the finance team. They've sent the invoice to the old address. Um, they haven't bothered picking up the phone, even though they provided the phone line to us to ask for payment or to email me or to do anything to, to try and reach out outside of that. And they just cut you off, um, which obviously on Christmas Eve, when you you know you want to go out and, and relax uh, and enjoy the, the uh, time of year is, is quite annoying. Um, and so it's stuff like that. You just look, and I actually raised this all the way up to their chief customer officer, and I just partly to try and help them out, saying, look, you guys have got a problem with your, your data here, and it's causing people to get really frustrated and leave you one-star reviews. Um, but you know, they weren't particularly interested in, in doing anything about it. They, they had other priorities or you know, they were focused on the, the, the consumer market. And you think, well, you know, in, in organizations like that, yeah, okay, that's just one small business that they've perhaps come in and done that too. But what they don't realize is I'm also a customer for their home um, TV and, and internet package. So when I churn, I, I churn two accounts, not one. 
Um, so you know, it's, it's stuff like that. And when you you're, and you're dealing with people, and often the the poor person on the customer service line is just not empowered to make changes. They have no idea about your account. They they, they can't reconcile what you're telling them about your experience with what they can see about your experience from the system that they're allowed to look at. Um, so you know that that really um, you know, just annoyed me. But you know, you've got lots of experiences like that here with these big entities where there's just a disjointed experience across channels and between different siloed departments in their own organization. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, what do you see as the single most important action that you've taken or still need to take in order to uh, help businesses improve their customer experience in Singapore? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a good question. So following on from what happened with, with StarHub, we started to look at this more broadly because I was wondering how prevalent is this problem? You know, is it is it just me? I just got unlucky or are, are lots of organizations behaving this way? Uh, so we actually, we, we went out and put a, a research study together in the back end of 2020 where we started looking online at, at sites like Trustpilot or Facebook reviews or Google reviews um, and tried to find other one-star reviews where it was driven predominantly by a problem with the underlying data about the customers or about the dis- difference in, in uh, records between different systems that different departments were using. Um, so we, we went and we, we um, published that, and we've, we've tried to use that to help people understand and put a value on their data. So lots of organizations want to do more with their data, um, but they struggle to get buy-in because it's kind of intangible. Um, and if you can tie problems with the data to problems that they've created for their customers and therefore you know, negative online uh, reviews and potentially um, you know, if, you've, if you're looking at that saying, well, this is, this is hitting you on, in your customer experience and your NPS scores or whatever, and that has a direct uh, negative impact on, on revenues, that's been quite useful for us to get people to latch onto that and go, hey, do we have that problem in our organization and, and you know, what should we do about it? And obviously trying to get a more powerful ally on board because often the people we've talked to are in the IT department. They see the problem with different, different records about the same customer in different systems because they see the landscape of, of the IT environment that they're operating with but they, they don't necessarily have the language to communicate that up to somebody in the C-suite in power to say, hey, this is the impact this has on your business, on your customers, on, on the experience that we're providing. So I'm, you know, I'm quite pleased with that. However, it's still a work in progress. There's still so much more that we can and should do around this. Um, and clearly, we're, we're in the process. We always want to try and improve our own customer experience, which is um, a, a never-ending target. I guess you can always do better. Right. So if I was going to sum that up very briefly at a high level, then what I hear you saying is that you want to focus on knocking those data silos down. Yeah, that, that, that's it. It's, it's trying to make sure that if, if any employee in your company or any channel that is communicating with a customer, it, it communicates the same information about that customer and ideally, a customer or the information that that customer knows to be true. So when we saw some complaints where they didn't even have the guy's name right, uh, and he'd already been pushed around about 12 departments and, uh, you know, was overbilled and, and all this other stuff, you know, it, it's, it's, it's trying to take that and make it real and say, you know, 
this particular customer got so angry they've left you a one-star online review. Uh, you know, they're never coming back, but they're also telling others don't do business with you. And it's because you've got these silos of data and, and you know, multiple records describing the same person and the same relationship. Well, it sounds like you're going to stay busy for a while. And, <laughs> and when you're done, please come over here because we could use the same kind of help. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we looked, it wasn't just in Singapore. We looked across um, Asia all the way from, from the Middle East and around. And we, you know, we, we found it. I can't remember the exact stats, but it's something like 70 to 80% of firms had these one-star reviews um, that you could tie to information about their account, information about the, the bills or you know, overselling, under-delivering under on products, um, all sorts of stuff where you could directly see the person doing it had you know, the wrong information or provided the wrong information to that customer and, and it caused the problem. Okay. All right. Well, uh, Graham, do you have any questions for Neil? Um, I, th- I mean, there's a lot of information and and it's actually nice to sit here and not have to talk, um, which is a slightly different oh, well, well. world. <laughs> uh, never mind, Graham. I'm not going to ask you anything. No, I, do, I do think, I do think, I do think, I do have, I do have one, one question is kind of digging a little bit more into the, the data thing. Um, you know, I mean, it, having spent a little bit of time in, in Singapore, at least in the business community and my brother was actually born there back in the 1800s, actually 1959. Um, and uh, I, I mean, what's what's your what's your thoughts, Neil, on kind of the the acceptance or the resonance of the business community around the importance of uh, solving data problems in terms of being able to you know be able to truly understand the customer and, and deliver on what what as you indicated is is maybe an evolving maybe a little bit more of an evolving um, kind of customer first demand than perhaps the United States, but clearly clearly on the way. So do you, do you think there's a lot of understanding about just how important uh, solving data issues is to your ability to be able to deliver on that customer promise? Um, unfortunately, uh, the answer I'm going to have to give to that is no. Um, clearly, some people get it. But um, here, I'm, I'm seeing there's a there's a trend globally, I, I think, to to drive up the salaries of, of tech and and, uh, and IT workers, which is a bad thing with coders and things like that. But historically, that departments in Singapore are really underinvested. They'll go and buy the cheapest possible tool to do the job and pay for the you know the whoever comes in with the lowest tender. And so there's there's not much uh, business accountability for the systems that they've purchased and therefore the data decisions that they've made, probably because they don't necessarily think of it as a data decision. You know, I've bought a new CRM. I think I've gone through a nice process to do it. Um, I, I've given some requirements. Usually they're, they're not the best written requirements that you, you might see, and they're certainly not necessarily tied back to business um, use cases or customer experience. And so as a result, I think people want more from their data and the managers want to understand their customers and the buying behaviors and things like that. However, they just think that that's an IT problem. It's not a business problem and it's not their problem. And that's why we went down that path of saying, well, actually, here is your customer. Here is a real person that is complaining about a real thing that is, is driven by the systems that you've selected and the rules that you've either put in place or not put in place through the years. Uh, and if you want to, to get this right, you as the business person have to own that and be accountable for it and then 
tell those IT people what you expect and make sure that, that they can go and execute against it. So I think there's a there's a big hill to climb to get people to wrap their heads around that and say, hang on a minute, you know, this it, it, data is not an IT thing. Data at, at its heart is just your representation of what you know about that customer and the relationship you have with them. And if what you've got in your systems is incorrect or doesn't match what the customer knows to be true about the relationship that they've got with you, then you have a problem. And that's a business problem, in my opinion, not a technology one. Okay, okay. great. Well, one more question that's hopefully a fun question. As we move our way around the world here, one of the things that we want to do is find out what the person local to an area would recommend to someone who's never tried the cuisine from that area. So from your perspective as a outside in person, what would be the first thing that you would recommend? <laughs> yeah, um, this one's quite hard for Singapore because there's such a where where it's such a melting pot of different cultures and ethnicities. There's some fantastic local food and, and the Hawker Centers here are specifically um, reasonably inexpensive food. Uh, I think there's there's two that I would pick out here that, that are my go-to, and both of them are soups, actually. Uh, one is called laksa, which is a kind of um, a, a coconut-based um, curry soup, usually with uh, with noodles and often with um, with prawns, cockles, and sometimes bits of chicken. But that's excellent. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a, oddly enough, probably sort of winter warmer type dish, even though we never have winter here. Uh, and another one is called bakute, which is... Um, pork bone tea but it's a it's a it's like the uh, pork ribs simmered with uh, garlic and lots of spices and and uh, white pepper which is again uh, a nice uh, a nice warming dish to eat when it's um, 90 odd degrees every day <laughs> okay all right well thank you for that and so those are the two things people want to try for sure if they get the opportunity yeah definitely Come on out and say hi, and I'll, I'll take you out for a, a nice noodle soup. <laughs> now now you want to go get yourself some, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Neil. We appreciate you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Bye, Neil. That was tremendous, and uh, and I learned a lot. Um, concepts of kiasu and kiasi are, are pretty mind-blowing, and and who doesn't want to talk about laksa noodle soup and bat kaite? Um, so, uh, so just just as a, a quick request, if you are out there around the world and you'd like to join us, as uh, Jeff did and Goral on our recent podcasts, and Neil just now, um, ping us, contact us, email, voicemail us. You know, we take communications pretty much any way that multi-channel communications can be handled. And we would love to invite you on as we continue this journey um, from uh, from here through the end of the year. And who knows, maybe it'll be a 2023 journey too. That's great. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, we have a podcast lined up that's going to be released really soon. So we're moving forward with that and we'd love to have you join us. And if you're enjoying this series, if you like hearing about CX around the world, drop us a line and let us know that too. So until we talk to you next time, do CX right. And do it right now. <laughs>